0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's Happening in Travel. Uh, I am Kerwin, and I'm here with my buddy. Bushro. Sure. And um, we are, there's so much going on in the industry. Um, it's actually kind of crazy. The good thing is that um, we're getting a lot of new airlines, which is, quite, which is quite interesting. You wouldn't think that in a time when one airline is laying off people, we're getting new airlines, but apparently, lots of people like to open airlines and they have a lot of money in this world. So, Kusho, what um, we're going to talk about that in just a sec. But I need to see what what airplane do you have in your in your thing, Kusho?
1: So I actually, you sent me this picture of uh, Garuda Indonesia A A3, three 900 um, with this mask that I thought was very well done. It is um, this after the cargo Lux seven four seven that I thought was a very good portrayal of an
0: aircraft wearing a mask. Yeah, they did a so, good job. <laughs> I thought it looks pretty cool. And I'm yeah, sitting... Only I don't
1: like the mascara.
0: Right, the oh. cockpit, but I'm out <laughs> of luck for that. And we have an episode that we talked about that. I can't believe that. Right. that. But it's the previous episode that we talked about why, why was there was something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, I have <clears> uh, behind me, in honor of uh, Hawaii opening up this week, um, I have Waikiki that's sitting in the in the back of us there. Yeah, Hawaii opened up on the fifteenth. So yeah. um, you now have to do a COVID test uh within 72 hours. Otherwise, you have to quarantine. And um so people can get back to Waikiki, just you know, just be careful out there. So our first topic for this one is uh Japan Airlines. Um uh i have started their budget carrier. Uh, so tell us about that, Kishore.
1: So Zipair is uh, Japan Airlines' uh, LCC. Such a funny name. And it is <laughs> and an even color scheme, I think. But that's yeah. minor. <laughs> so they only have 788s, seven, eight, seven, eight, seven, eight, um, and they wanted to start service in May. Uh, to Bangkok.
0: yeah.
1: But because of the COVID, they actually started in June with cargo-only flights to Mm -hmm. Bangkok. So they've been doing that. And then just on the... um, um, This week, uh, they actually started flights to Seoul, um, Incheon, from Tokyo. This is Narita. And they originally wanted to start in July... But um, on the sixteenth was their first flight. Uh, they're planning to do three round trips a week. Um, and uh, any guesses how many passengers they had on their two hundred and ninety seat seven eight uh, eight?
0: Two hundred. A whopping two, like people. one and two. That's correct. Wow, they must. Have I been don't full know long. if they
1: had cargo on board,
0: but I would think it's
1: would... not a very aus- auspicious. Beginning to their passenger operation. Wow. But That's
0: true. We have to get, we have to go flying. Seriously. We gotta go <laughs> really? flying. Yes, we have to really? go flying. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out. We have to go flying.
1: <laughs> they actually want to start Honolulu. Um, so this would also be a very, very busy route because JAL, ANA, Hawaiian, and a, several other carriers fly, fly from Japan to Honolulu. Yeah. And uh, they have plans to come to the US West Coast. So um, I was checking the fares um, to Seoul from Tokyo, and they start at about 3,000 Japanese yen, which is about $28. And they go all the way to uh, 30,000 yen, which is about 280 US dollars for life-life business, which is odd for an LCC.
0: Dude, we got uh, to go, course, those are good
1: fares. <laughs> they do not include tax and fees, and, but they do include seven kilograms of carry on baggage. Uh, you have to pay you. for your meals, uh, check bags, and any advanced seat assignments. What I found was interesting is that you can order your meal on board via the uh, app. Yeah. They have free Wi Fi and internet on their flights, which I thought was pretty impressive. I don't know how much data is included. But um, the self-ordering of meals is in collaboration with uh, Collins Aerospace and um, the free internet is via Panasonic. But again, I don't know how well this is going to do. This is probably going to compete with BEACH, which is ANA's low cost. And after AirAsia, Japan
0: going, to, going out of business, I don't know how this is going to look. That would be interesting. And then with, with two passengers, hmm. Not a good start. No, so let's hope that a lot of cargo yeah. on this, on this uh, first flight. Yeah, but they
1: didn't really say how many passengers were booked on the return from Seoul to Tokyo.
0: Oh, yeah, there might be a bunch coming over. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, I was going to say something about, oh, the, the meal ordering thing. I flew here in New Zealand once. And you can do that it, it is very cool it makes you the laziest person on the plane because you just order whatever you want and then it magically uh-huh. appears <laughs> at your seat it's very very cool so so um and i think they also do that on norwegian on the norwegian okay. 787s they do that uh, you can just order stuff and it pops up and um oh. uh, that that new airline the one at uh, french b is very similar you can order new stuff Okay. Yeah. So I like oh I like yeah, good luck Zip Air. Yeah, so you, you know what 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 I see happening with these airlines is that uh, Wi Fi is becoming ubiquitous, right? It's just like well, it's on the plane. So uh, at first we were yeah. like expensive, but now it's just a part of the thing. Wow, true. A seven eight seven flight for twenty eight dollars. Can COVID be over yet so we can go? <laughs> Because uh, remember, that does
1: not include taxes and fees.
0: Who knows how much they are? $28. How much can the taxes and fees be, right? Well, okay, but still it's $58. How long is that flight? Like two hours to solve? Three hours? Yeah. Yeah. Three hours. Oh, come on, Christian. That's really cheap. Um, Those two people must have been like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder where they seated them, actually. In a class, right next to each other. That's <laughs> right, <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't even know each other. <laughs> That's see, that would make a great so, set in a light live skit, right? <laughs> um, all right, so let's talk about Malaysia Airlines now. Um, yeah, you know, they they have not been in the news for a while, which I guess is a good thing. But what's going on with them now? So Malaysia
1: is another basket case, apparently, together with Thai, and yeah. uh, as we. In the previous episode, Alitalia. Right. So, they have never really quite recovered from their twin accidents in 2015 with um, 370 Malaysia 370 and uh, 17. Um, and it's been mismanaged by the government. So. This was in Reuters, by the way. And I just found out that Air France and KLM were interested in buying 49% of Malaysia airline system. And um, also Japan Airlines wanted 25%. Now it's interesting because Japan Airlines um, is in one world, as is Malaysia, but Air France, KLM are in Skyteam. But there were other bidders like AirAsia, and Malindo Air, which is the Malaysian arm of Indonesia's Lion Air. Long story short, despite all these bidders, nothing developed. So uh, the Malaysian government was looking for a strategic partner, and they found this uh, sovereign wealth fund called Kazana. So they have been managing Malaysia Airlines since this, I'm sorry, those accidents were in 2014. So this Kazana has been managing um, Malaysia Airlines, and they wanted to merge it with Air Asia. Um, so Tony Fernandez, who's the CEO and founder of Air Asia, wanted a three-way merger between Air Asia X, Air Asia, and Malaysia, Malaysia Airlines to create a new flag carrier. But of course, that fell through again. Right. So. What Malaysia did, Malaysia Airlines did this week is that they issued a notice to their creditors saying that they were due to make a bond payment of about $360 million in September. But they had to delay it until until March 2021. And any financial commitments from November 2020 onwards, they were not going to be able to do. So, government instituted this restructuring, which has been going on for months, but has been outright rejected by lessors who have about 70% of Malaysia's aircraft on their books. So Kazana, which is the sovereign wealth fund managing Malaysia Airlines, has issued this statement saying... um, It now intends to divest all efforts and funds to an alternate company with an existing air operators permit to ensure connectivity for Malaysians. And the only other airline that fits the bill is Firefly, which is the low cost subsidiary of Malaysian Airlines, which is based in Subang, which is west of uh, Kuala Lumpur. They only have turboprops, then, interestingly, I read in a separate article at Firefly, which again is an odd name for an airline, but whatever, <laughs> they will start flying jets, about 10 of them, uh, starting in the first quarter of 21, for domestic ASEAN and Asia Pacific from Penang, which is on the west coast of Malaysia. Right. So... From all indications, it looks like Malaysian Airlines is not going to survive, but there are alternative arguments that say the government will not allow Malaysian Airlines to die because it's a prestige thing.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, and airlines in Asia, they're very proud of the flagships. I don't think it'll die either.
1: Right. But the thing is that Kazana is interested in killing off Malaysia Airlines, starting with Firefly, which is 100% owned subsidiary of Malaysia Airlines.
0: Right, so that doesn't make any sense. Yes, um, but it's a low-cost Yeah, Yes, so still, still doesn't make any sense yeah. that you would take the, I mean, you would just call Firefly Malaysia Airlines and offer low-cost services. And um, get rid of that
1: ridiculous name.
0: I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that shakes. It, it's, it's such a shame because that airline was doing really, really well. Um, right. Until those two incidents. And I'm still amazed. To no fault it, of their own. No, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. No of their own. You know, I mean, yeah, that's frustrating. and I'm still surprised that an airplane can just disappear. That's yep. like the biggest mystery of our time. And not even a small aircraft. Exactly. A you know. huge triple seven. And so long, off, long after we're gone, they'll figure it out. But that's, that's a mystery. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so we're coming to the U.S. Uh, it's the first American story that we've had, right? Um, all right. So we reported, I think probably maybe a few episodes ago, that um, United is returning to JFK again. This is round three. So, tell us what's going on, Kushev.
1: Well, they haven't announced too many details. Okay. All we know is that they are taking advantage of um, airport improvements um, at JFK, so space opening up in in the terminal, and they're going to add transcontinental flights from JFK to LAX and SFO, San Francisco, um, starting in 2021.
0: Okay, so, so new, sure that's what
1: they had before. That's exactly right. So I'm not sure what they're going to do different this time, but different people have been commenting that the, it may be in the cards that they operate um, long-haul international flights from JFK. I don't think that's going to be very
0: no, uh, viable. Makes zero sense.
1: Makes zero sense, given that yeah. they have the hub in Newark, uh-huh. not
0: that far away. Yeah.
1: But this could also be um, a strike against other carriers that are coming into Newark and also invading other uh, United hubs. And incidentally, they've got their slots with an exchange with Delta. And they have a big hub at JFK.
0: Right. So
1: yeah, we'll have to wait and see um, once United releases more details because clearly it wasn't a profitable operation the last two times. So, right, what that's are they, why they going got, to do differently? Um, but it may again be a status thing because you is. almost have to operate a JFK to be taken seriously. But Ridiculous. we will see.
0: You have no feed. You have and no feed. Yeah. And you're, you're already pushing that, hey, everyone should come to Newark. So, all of a sudden, say, like, hey, by the right. way. Right.
1: Because you're, you're taking on JetBlue, American, and Delta. Yeah. At JFK.
0: Because those they have major operations there. Yeah, I don't understand why they would do that, but you know, there's the smarter people in network planning than we are, I guess. Yeah, but Scott
1: (laughs) Kirby has always said at United has always said that leaving JFK in two thousand fifteen was a mistake. So this is his opportunity to prove everyone wrong.
0: Yeah. I I I don't see it because you have no connecting traffic. International, yeah. Right. I mean, so you can connect, they're going from to Europe. have service to some United Hubs. I don't know what yeah. that means, but yeah, I mean, you can connect from your uh, Star Alliance partners, uh, right?
1: But why couldn't they do that before?
0: Yeah, I mean, because you have a lot of Star Alliance partners that do come into JFK, but they also right. go into Newark as well. You
1: that's right, so, especially Lufthansa.
0: Yes, I don't know. I mean, Singapore does have that JFK Frankfurt flight that they do. I believe you that's know. gone. Is it gone now? Yeah. yeah. I uh, when I was, when I had, when I was oh. doing my Singapore flight, that was one of the choices, but um, it was really more miles than I could afford hmm. <laughs> to do that flight. So, yeah, uh, let's see what happens with United. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, all right. So the next story we have is is um, (laughs) uh, Southwest Airlines, um, they're making some changes uh, again. And um, I I have a lot to say about this one, Gushu, but uh, go, let's hear it, let's hear it.
1: So again, this week, (laughs) um, Southwest announced that they are going to start service into Chicago O'Hare and Houston IAH. The reason this makes news is because both Houston and Chicago are big hubs for Southwest at Midway and uh, Hobby Airport. Mm-hmm. So the reason Southwest gave for operating into Chicago, O'Hare, and Houston IAH is that they're looking for more traffic. They have um, aircraft that are not
0: being used to the fullest extent. Seven eight seven At this time. Or I should say 737-7s and 8s. <laughs> yes. So um,
1: they, again, no details yet on what cities they're going to uh, serve from these two airports. But again, this is the third drive for Southwest at Houston Intercontinental IAH because that was one of their routes when they started in 1971 between Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, Then they added Houston Hobby in November, 71, and moved all operations in Houston there in 72. Then they came back to Houston IAH in September, 1980, and they were there until 2005, April, when again, they moved back to Hobby. So now they're trying this third attempt. It may be trying to cater to a broader segment of the population of both Houston and Chicago, those that live closer to um, IAH and O'Hare, instead of South Chicago and South Houston.
0: Uh, But we
1: will see. Remember, they went into Miami also recently when they served Fort Lauderdale. They have a huge, huge hub at Fort Lauderdale. They went into Miami. and they also retreated from Newark.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the thing recently. with the, the thing with Southwest. The good thing about Southwest is that whenever they realize something doesn't work, they stop it. Uh, yeah. So that's that's really good. But I don't I don't see why. Like, uh, there's still a lot of bad blood about them moving to Hobby, because uh, when they moved to Hobby, they had to get international. And so um, the, if I remember- correctly, That's
1: between, wasn't that between United and the city of Houston? Because United was not happy about giving Southwest an um, FIS facility in hobby. Yeah.
0: yeah, but you know, I mean, all of that stuff is, is, all, is all political as usual. Right. right? Um, right. But that could- so pilots, by the way, Southwest yeah.
1: pilots have protested because they have been asked to take a 10% pay cut and they said, if we have to take a pay cut, why is the airline expanding?
0: Yeah, because it doesn't, it doesn't make it, because it is going to cost money to go into right. uh, these two, these two um, airports. And right. so um, I, don't, I don't understand why, because the city actually spent quite a lot of money, city of Houston, to build that FIS facility. And, That's right. um, and I know that the, uh, the agents that take care of you, all that had to be split between IH and HOU. And so it's yeah,
1: like,
0: yeah. Uh, okay, so this caused
1: problems up, actually.
0: At it, caused, it caused quite a bit of problems. So now you're saying, "Oh, okay, we're coming back to Houston, and you're probably going to have domestic flights here." And it, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's so. I think it's weird.
1: But because remember, both Chicago O'Hare and Houston IAH are United hubs.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so this affects United much more than it does American. Yeah, it's weird. Well above our pay grade, so, but I think it's. Kind of weird why they're doing this and i hope it's not that oh you're coming you're in my backyard so i'm going to go into your backyard because this is an expensive fight and they're probably going to lose <laughs> because so, united is very big at ih and very big at uh chicago here yeah so we'll see what happens i guess consumers will it, 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 you know it doesn't matter to a consumer right as long as the fares are cheap they're just going to fly so, yeah and Southwest does have low fares, so we'll see what happens.
1: I wonder <sighs> if they will go into DFW, Dallas,
0: next. I know, I was thinking about that, but uh, American is pretty good at um, kicking people out of there. Um, I remember. are not actually, supposed
1: to say that, are we? Uh, for anti-competitive reasons.
0: Uh, well, but that, but that's what, that's what mean, they're doing. That's what happens. I mean, anyone comes into to your your area, you defend it, and yep. that you know. That, that's Remember that Independence happens. Air, uh, in Washington yes. Dallas? and Legend <laughs> Airlines. So yeah, I mean yeah, this kind of stuff happens all the time. So we'll see. Um, <laughs> right. Interesting. Uh, we don't work for the airline for sure, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, we've been talking about uh, a lot about flights to nowhere, and um, they've been uh, actually quite successful. And something really annoyed me uh, because one of my friends online was talking about flights to nowhere and they were saying that they didn't agree with the flights to nowhere. And I'm thinking, you do realize that the airlines are, they have no money. They have all these supplies that are going to waste. They have all these pilots that are not being trained. They have all these airplanes that are sitting down and you're worried about them doing a few flights to nowhere. So Tell me how the flights are doing. People, Some people just don't get it.
1: So are, a lot of airlines have become very, very creative, I think, yeah. in how they're trying to manage this pandemic and to create alternative revenue streams. Yeah. And we've been talking about this for months now. It all started with China Airlines out of Taiwan. Um, I'm sorry, EVA out of Taiwan with their Hello Kitty flights. Mm -hmm. And then it spread to South Korea, it spread to Japan, Australia, uh, Brunei, and uh, now it's finally come to Hong Kong. Um, So Hong Kong Airlines is a wholly owned subsidiary of Cathay Pacific, which of course is in deep trouble uh, with everything from the uh, protests in Hong Kong to the pandemic. And uh, similar to all airlines in the region. So, what Hong Kong Airlines has done is to organize uh, three 90 minute flights to nowhere in Hong Kong air- airspace. Uh, they are scheduled for early November, and they had 360 seats for sale that sold out again in 90 minutes. <laughs> so, clearly, they are touching a cord. I want to fly. And of course, Hong Kong Airlines is low cost, uh, doesn't serve any food on board, and you are apparently not allowed to take off your mask during the entire 90-minute flights.
0: But they're clearly
1: popular. But it has been blasted by Cathay Pacific um, as saying it was extra cost uh, to the company amid financial difficulties. So, Cathay um, Pacific bought Hong Kong Express in uh, 2019. Right. And I would have expected that they could have squashed this before they announced it, but I'm glad they chose not to.
0: But, so, the parent, so, the parent is complaining about something the child is doing after the child has yes. it? <laughs> yes. Uh, Essentially. Like, Sounds like a dysfunctional family. <laughs> yeah, this was in the South China Morning Post, which, of course, is the uh, newspaper
1: in, one of the newspapers in Hong Kong. Uh, well, that's the first one. Okay. Then um, Air Busan, which is um, a carrier based in South Korea, in Busan, they are doing the same thing uh, with A320 NEOs. Right. Um, sorry, A321 NEOs. Um, the long-range aircraft on the 30th and the 31st with 150-minute flights. And the bookings opened um, on October 14th from uh, both Busan and Seoul Gimpo Airport. Mm. Also very, very successful. And the third one that I wanted to talk about was... um, What Singapore Airlines has done, they bowed to pressure and canceled their proposed flights to nowhere because of environmental impacts. Um, Mm, But what they've done instead is they have opened what they've called restaurant A380 uh, pop-up. So you can actually board one of the A380s that is at Singapore Changi and have a meal either in first class, business class, or economy. Right. I have a few details. It's, in fact, proved so popular that uh, for the two dates, Singapore Airlines chose to do this for, uh, the 24th and the 25th. They sold out in 30 minutes. Good. Now they've added four more dates. Again, on the 24th, 25th, 31st of October and November 1st. So price is about... um, 390 us dollars for sweet in first class in uh for a meal and it goes to 40 us dollars for a meal in economy one thing that is a little bit confusing is that they said it was going to be a Peranakan meal which is a cuisine of uh, malaysia indonesia singapore combined mm-hmm. but the menu that this Singapore chef called Shermay Lee has designed does not sound very paranoid uh, to me at all. This was based on travel and leisure. Um, Some of the menus are a roasted duck salad in a sweet plum sauce, lobster thermidor with a creamy cheese sauce with asparagus and cherry tomatoes, grass-fed beef tenderloin with morel mushrooms, with ice cream sandwiches for dessert. None of this sounds very Asian at all, but there you have it.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: So, and then the last one okay. was Finnair. Uh, this was new. Uh, they are now selling their business class meals at a supermarket called City K in Vanta, which is the area near the airport, the airport. in Helsinki. Yeah. Um, I, again, I think it's a great idea, not exactly okay. cheap, um, and they build it as a taste of thin air, that's the branding, again, I thought pretty clever, uh, build it as contemporary Nordic offerings with a touch of Japanese flair, and given that they're so heavily invested in Japan and Asia, mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense.
0: It totally does. Um, yeah.
1: The menu will change every two weeks, and it features two main course options and an appetizer that is only available on weekends. Mm. So again, I have some samples. first items that they went on sale this week at City K uh, is a smoked char and a chanterelle risotto. And those are mushrooms, I believe. Or you could get a beef and teriyaki radish sauce, spring onions and rice. Each of these is about fifteen U.S. dollars each, and a starter that they have on sale this week, Friday through Sunday, is a roasted carrot and blue cheese mousse with hazelnuts. Again, only on sale Friday through Sunday at City K for seven U.S. dollars. Then I have said that the only difference between what they are selling on the ground and what they serve in the air. Is that the ground menu has less salt and less spices because um, yeah, again I did not know taste buds are dulled yeah. um, in the air. So they have said that expansion into other supermarkets and other locations is possible. And based on their initial results, they sold a hundred of these meals in the first couple of hours. They didn't specify what couple of hours is. Two hours or four hours or six two,
0: hours. Two. <laughs> I think it's a great stuff. It is. It is. And oh. I, I I, like that the airlines are trying to stay afloat. And um, people who are complaining about it should really just step back and look that we're in a pandemic. The Airlines, <clears throat> no one is flying. The few people that you see flying cannot sustain the airlines. Um, and so they have yeah. to do something. Even what they're doing here is not doing much all it's really doing is just letting them keep get- the kitchens open and the chefs exactly pay. because it's very expensive to maintain these kitchens people don't understand you know once once you close it up it is a whole process to open it up again yep. and so i don't think people really understand that and they only see oh oh the airlines there like, oh yeah we don't have any air- yeah it's don't let me start um well good 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 but- for them of trying to do something and making you know, some money. Uh, all right, so that's all we have for airlines. And um, we have two items for aircraft, and then we're going to call it a wrap. Um, so these were, um, we've been talking about the 737 7, 8, 9 for a while. I know all the different governing bodies have to say, yes, it's a go. And so um, we finally have. Uh, one more government body that has said go. And who is that, Kishore?
1: The Europeans.
0: Yay. Together
1: with the US FAA, they have been um, they're, they're extremely important. And they've given a huge vote of confidence in the 737. They've called it the 737 MAX. Um, <laughs> they, they concluded. <laughs> yeah, not, I'm sure Boeing is not too thrilled about that. But that's they'll what get, they've called will get over it. <laughs> so we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the, um, the Europeans, Canadians, and Brazilians, and Americans, um, the aviation regulation authorities, they flew this aircraft in September off the West Coast based out of Vancouver in Canada. Um, so they've done with their tests and um, what they're doing currently apparently is uh, reviewing their documents Um, as is a draft airworthiness directive for uh, a return to service. That's issued in November. Uh, Then they're going to have it open to four weeks of public comment. I'm not exactly sure what that means, Um, but they expect the (laughs) 737-7-8-9 to be in service before year end. All right. Now, one thing that the Europeans did want and specify that was a requirement is that they wanted a third sensor, the angle of attack sensor. Um I don't want to go into too much detail because we've discussed this a few times before. We
0: have, we have. But
1: this is now a synthetic sensor, as they say. It's a base of it's based on software. So this will be come in useful if any of the two previous um, measurements are incorrect or differ by significant means. So what the um, executive director of EASA, which is the European Union Aviation Safety Agency said, was our analysis is showing that this aircraft is safe and the level of safety reach is high enough for us. Good. So this is the firmest endorsement yet. From a major regulatory authority, given that the US FAA has been so badly compromised by their cozy relationship with Boeing and how they overlooked all their responsibilities. So, um, speaking of the US FAA, they are also in the process of recertifying this aircraft. But as I m- mentioned earlier, their reputation has been severely dented by their uh, lax management of this case. So this EASA recommendation carries a lot more weight. One thing that is still unclear is is China, because they have not participated in these flight tests and uh, they have not been involved in any of the certification uh, procedures. Uh, So I don't know what's happening with them since they are a major... uh, uh, player in this as well,
0: yeah. Uh, so
1: I, uh, I'm. They also haven't specified how long it would take Boeing to train um, pilots with the new software and everything. Yeah. But this is a major endorsement for
0: return to service. So that's good. Well, I mean, if they're going to start flying that end of the year, I guess within the next few, years they'll start doing that, right?
1: And the synthetic sensor is due to de- debut on the seven eight seven three seven yeah. ten in two years, and then okay. be retrofitted onto the seven eights and nines later on.
0: And it's still it's still um, Ryanair, it's still the dash ten launch people. Yes. Okay. All right. Good. But only they're
1: calling it something else. Yeah. So they're calling it the dash two hundred or something like that.
0: Funny. All I'm right. Cool. Sure why, but... I'm glad that Boeing so, is getting. Uh, some good news coming out of Seattle or is it Chicago now or is it uh, Everett or is it South Carolina <laughs> no. uh, all right we got one more okay story. so how are we doing on time it's fine we just got one more story okay um uh, um <laughs> you always tends to find these really interesting stories and so um uh I've never heard of Frosty Boy, but Krish is going to tell you what this Frosty Boy has to do with aviation.
1: (laughs) This by far was one of the most interesting articles I read this week. I don't know if people remember, but in September 2017, there was an Air France 380 flight from Paris to LAX um, that had an engine explode over Greenland, seven miles over Greenland. The engine simply disintegrated Uh (laughs) Uh, and it fell down onto uh, Greenland soil, Um, of course that's an ice sheet. Um, And the aircraft landed two hours later in Goose Bay in Canada. Uh, This was a big story at the time. No one could really figure out what happened because the engine literally exploded and very fortunately Everything fell vertically because if anything had exploded horizontally and particles had impacted the aircraft, it would have been a major disaster. So the French BEA, which is the investigative agency in France, took 21 months to determine the cause of it. And this was an article in CNN that was really, and Flight Global, that was a really very interesting read. So this was in September over Greenland, and um, the engine fell onto an ice sheet. And of course, they couldn't do anything uh, because of the weather there at the time. So once spring came about, um, the French, together with the Danes, Uh, and the Geological Survey of uh, Denmark and Greenland, because Greenland really is owned by Denmark, Um, they flew this Falcon 20 jet with what is called synthetic aperture radar that is similar to what is used to create a 3D map of the Earth. So in essence, it looks for um, unseen objects under the surface
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the, the earth. So they used that, really couldn't find anything. Then they also used ground penetrating radar on helicopters. After first going back into the flight data recorder of this 380 and determine, determining when exactly this explosion occurred, because interestingly, the pilots really didn't know what happened. All they saw were a cascade of flashing warning lights. And apparently a flight attendant came running into the cockpit with a passenger footage on a cell phone of this engine that has, had completely disintegrated. Hmm. This was the outboard starboard engine. So in other words, if you're looking at an A380 at the nose, From the front, it would be the first engine on your left. But anyway, all their efforts failed to try and find this engine piece uh, that weighed, I believe, about 150 kilograms, which is about 330 pounds, uh, because they could not operate in winter because of the severity of the weather. So they only had a very narrow window. and coupled with storms and low visibility and low sunlight. But long story short, they called in this um, little robot called Frosty Boy, which really looks like a cooler where you know people chill drinks and things like that on four wheels uh, that was ground penetrating. And they were actually rolling it over the area on the actual ice sheet. And that detected the exact location.
0: Yeah, cool. And
1: then they determined why all the aerial checks did not work because it was so far under the ice sheet. Because yeah, there have been several time. right? Several snowstorms and all that. But well, they found it. And they actually um, also used what is called a transient electromagnetic instrument called a DEM which, again, um, really looked like a PC, um, not too much bigger than a PC. So it de- detects metallic objects.
0: Mm, okay. And
1: they found this engine core purely by accident, by actually going over it. So, of course, digging this 20-feet hole into the Greenland ice was no small task, but they did it. They brought in these huge heaters, and they pulled this engine out. And what they discovered that it was not a mechanical issue. It was not any maintenance related issue, uh, but something called cold dwell fatigue. So this the engine, which has these 24 fans um, in them, the blades rather, is composed of um, an alloy called titanium-6-4 which is an alloy of titanium, um, aluminum, and vanadium. And it had suffered what is called, as I said, cold dwell fatigue. So it tends to weaken and develop cracks at extremely low temperatures. Mm, What the French BEA have said is that scientists and engineers who have been unclear about this um, issue, should now pay attention when they use this alloy, which is used very widely in aerospace applications, that they have to be careful when they design engine parts with this.
0: Uh, interesting.
1: So, um, yeah, so it, I, I mean, this was really such an interesting um, article to read and also the pictures were quite incredible. Yeah,
0: that's funky. But I just thought this was an interesting mention. Who was the manufacturer? Say that again? Who's the manufacturer of this particular engine?
1: Oh, this is the Engine Alliance. I'm glad you mentioned that. So this is a, a combination of GE and Pratt & Whitney. Mm. It's the 7200 engine, which is used on the Airbus 380.
0: Yeah. Well, this I guess, guess Air France Flight 66. I'm guessing that's not much of an issue since that plane is... Gone. Mostly parked. <laughs> um, yeah. But some flying around, so... I assume, so do they, so what's the fix? Do they just have to, like, not fly so, I mean, I don't know. Uh, They have to inspect it more often. Oh, okay. Yeah. More
1: often than um, they expected.
0: Yeah. Well, thank heavens it has four. (laughs) Right. Right. But if you see pictures of this
1: plane, it's pretty scary. Yeah. And I think very, very lucky that there was no horizontal ejection.
0: So was um, that the same? Any debris? Was that the same reason why the Qantas one had issues?
1: No, that was a Rolls Royce. Oh, that's another uh, different issue. Matter. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. Right. Yes,
1: that was a Rolls Royce. seven eight seven. Yeah. Because not... all Rolls Royce no, 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 powered. No,
0: no, 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 no this, this wasn't a seven eight seven. Qantas had an. Oh, the A three eighty. Yeah, that had an issue.
1: You know, I'm not sure. That's a good point. Out of yeah. Singapore.
0: Yeah, and uh, I noticed there was a miracle yes. that the pilot was able to to land it. Yes, you are I correct. I don't know. Yes, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. That's um, right, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was also know. very dangerous. It was very, very dangerous, yeah. I mean, anything you lose an engine, it's, <laughs> it's like, it's, wow. I thought Qantas had Rolls-Royce on the 380, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't or, know either. I don't know what kind of engine they had in there. Uh, well, so, cool, that's a really good story so we actually managed to finish the show without talking about bad things although the good true. thing the good things are weird it's like you're starting an airline in a pandemic so, so, so does that mean that what's his name is going to start his airline soon uh, although his name uh, uh, the who? guy from um, Neilman yes yeah. next year <sighs> yep breeze. Uh, oh my god if uh, he's probably gonna change the name now, isn't he? <laughs>
1: no, I think breeze is the name, right? Is breeze what is the, the official
0: name now? We're gonna use that. It had another name before that. It's such a dumb name for an airline, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> we have breeze fares. It's a breeze to fly with us. I can see all the stupid marketing thing they're gonna come up with. What a breeze it is. I right, just kidding. <laughs> that so. means you'll See, now that I'm bad-mouthing Breeze, they'll never hire me. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty funny though. But anyway, um, and it got really dark out here, so I had to use my phone to get the light. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, but anyway, um, that's, that's actually a really good story to end on. So uh, thank you guys for uh, checking out this episode and uh, which we're actually, rec- we are recording it on the 17th and it'll probably come out at some point uh, in the next week or so. But uh, again, we are on Spotify. Uh, we are on um, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, Google. Uh, so we're uh, an Amazon Music uh, we're also on. Or basically just search for what's happening in travel and you'll be able to find us. So, this is uh Kerwin signing off with my buddy uh for another episode of What's Happening in Travel. Talk to you guys soon.